0: From APM, this is Educate, a podcast from APM Reports about ideas and research on how we teach and learn. I'm Stephen Smith. As students start the new school year, educators and policy experts once again renew the call to close the so called achievement gap between white students and students of color. Now, to an issue that's both complex and eye opening. It's called the achievement gap. The state has spent millions of dollars trying to close that achievement gap between minority high poverty schools and white low poverty schools. And researchers say budget cuts to education are harming some students more than others. Data show that the academic achievement gap starts early. even before elementary school. The good news is that the gaps between white and black and Latino kids have been declining for the last decade or more. What we don't know is whether these gaps exist before the children enter kindergarten or change during the early elementary grades or later. And we also don't know how they've changed over time. Sean Reardon is a professor of poverty and inequality in education at Stanford University. He set out to try to answer some of these questions, and he joins me now on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So in your study, you look into how ready children are for school before they even get there. So can you tell us what the markers of school readiness are?
1: Sure. When kids get to kindergarten, we generally want them to have some basic pre-literacy and pre-numeracy skills, which generally means do they recognize letters? Uh, Maybe they can sound out some simple words. Can they count? Can they recognize shapes and colors? And we also want them to be kind of behaviorally ready and socio-emotionally ready. So there's a number of ways that we think about readiness, not just in terms of academic skills, but also in terms of kind of behavior. We want kids to be able to interact well with other kids. We want them to be able to sit still, not for a long time. I mean, kindergarten shouldn't be a place where kids are sort of sitting in their seat uh, for a long time. But we want them to be able to focus for you know short periods of time Play well with others and kind of listen to what the teacher and other students are saying,
0: How do you measure that kind of thing, and do you do it in the classroom itself or is it in a in a lab
1: yeah so in the in the study that we did, we used data from two huge national studies where the uh, National Center for Education Statistics sent trained uh, early childhood assessors out to a thousand kindergartens across the country, and in each of those kindergartens. They randomly picked 15 to 25 students in the, who had just entered kindergarten, and they sat down with them one-on-one, and they asked them a set of questions to get a sense of how well they recognize shapes and can count and can sound out words and know the alphabet. And, and then they asked teachers about the students' behavioral skills and their behavior in the classroom and how ready they were to, to learn. and So. It's not done in the lab, but it's done one-on-one uh, orally with individual kids. So it's a, it's a very time-intensive but pretty in-depth kind of
0: evaluation. And what did you find in this study?
1: So we were interested in in particular in whether the gaps in school readiness between children from different racial and ethnic groups or children from higher and lower-income families have changed over the last 12 years. Um, we had data from 1998 and 2010. And we were worried that those gaps in readiness had been growing because the gap in later school outcomes has been growing for a long time. But what we found surprised us. What we found was that the gap in school readiness between high and low-income children has narrowed over those 12-year period by about 10 to 16%. And the gap uh, between white students and minority students also narrowed over that same time period.
0: That's quite a change. Uh, any idea what's going on?
1: Yeah, we were surprised. And part of the reason we thought it would go the other direction was that income inequality has been continuing to rise in the United States. Uh, Residential segregation by income has been going up, so kids are increasingly growing up in different neighborhoods. So we were initially quite puzzled by why the gap would narrow despite these other factors. And so we looked at information about what the parents of these kids say they had been doing in in their homes and in preschool programs and things like that to see if something had been changing about the children's experiences. And what we found was that parents uh, are doing a lot more kinds of activities with their children that would help their kids get ready for kindergarten. So they're reading to them more. They've got more books at home. They're taking them to the museum and the zoo and the library more often. Their kids are playing more games that are designed to help them learn kind of basic you know, numeracy and literacy skills. And while everyone sort of has been doing more of that over this time period, that is, you know, in general, American parents have been focused more on their kids' early childhood years than they had been in the past, but those increases are most pronounced among low-income families. So we've seen low-income families in particular doing a lot more of those activities with their kids over this time period. And we think that's a key part of why these gaps have started to narrow.
0: This is very different than a lot of the despairing research that has been coming out over the years about the the lack of uh, stimulation, the lack of activity, the lack of sort of preschool preparation in low-income communities. Do you have any hunch about why this is happening? Has it been a, a message campaign that's gotten through to people? Or I know this is just speculation on your part, but I'm just curious what you think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is it is speculative because we don't have good data on this, but I think there's a couple things going on. One is the, the research that's come out of universities uh, and laboratories about how children's brain developed and about how effective early childhood kinds of activities are for kids' long term development. That research has really reached a consensus about how important the early childhood years are. And that in turn has led to public policy campaigns to increase the amount of publicly available preschool to kids. So you see places like New York City, providing universal preschool for every kid in the city. You see states expanding their preschool. And so there's more focus on early childhood and more opportunities for good preschool. And then there have also been these campaigns, some national, some local, that are really designed to to encourage parents to read to their kids, to talk a lot to their kids, to use a lot of vocabulary with their kids, to make sure their kids have stimulating uh, experiences. So things like the 30 Million Words Initiative, the Too Small to Fail initiative, the Reach Out and Read initiative, all of these things are public information campaigns or campaigns where pediatricians talk to parents of young kids about the importance of these things. And so I think we've been doing a good job at kind of getting the message out to everyone, and in particular to to lower-income uh, families, about the importance of this. And, and so my speculation is that campaign as well as the growth in publicly available preschool has kind of led to some of this narrowing of the gap.
0: So this is a school readiness gap you've been studying. What has been happening with the actual achievement gap once uh, children are in school?
1: It's a little early to tell on that so the earlier the earlier time period so say kids born in the 1970s, 80s and into the 90s in in that time period the gap between high and low income children was widening uh, when you looked at test scores and graduation outcomes and things like that. For these more recent cohorts of kids, it looks like at least the racial and ethnic gaps in achievement, for example, have been narrowing when we look at, say, their fourth grade test scores. But we, you know, these kids that we looked at in this study aren't old enough yet for us to sort of see how they are doing in high school, for example. So it's a little bit early to tell if this readiness gap is going to translate into a a smaller gap in things like high school test scores and high school graduation rates and college going.
0: Do you have any idea where the readiness gap does sort of show up in the school career of a child? Is there a particular place where those who seem to be more ready and those who aren't kind of separate from each other?
1: Young children generally, there are big sort of differences in how fast kids develop. But in the early years, those differences aren't particularly pronounced in terms of racial and socioeconomic difference. But by age three or four, uh, when kids are starting to go to preschool uh, and then as they move into kindergarten, then we see these disparities really widen. And those are crucial years for providing kids with equal opportunity to thrive. Gaps sort of stay equally large as they progress through school. So most of the growth happens in those early years, and so that seems like a crucial time period to focus on to make sure that kids have equal
0: opportunity. It is early days with this research, but uh, I wonder if you are drawing any policy conclusions, what we ought to do more of differently based on these findings.
1: Well, I think certainly it suggests that uh, investments in early childhood can be important. We know that from lots of research. And so, the increased expansion and provision of high-quality, publicly-funded preschool for all kids seems like a no-brainer. We know that it's a great investment from a societal point of view, and it helps kids get to school sort of on a more equal footing. But I also think there's only so much we can do to uh, equalize opportunity by focusing on what parents are doing or what we're doing in preschool we, when we have so much socioeconomic and racial inequality in the in the country. When poor kids grow up in neighborhoods that are much poorer than, uh, than affluent kids, they have much poorer opportunities to thrive in many dimensions of their life. And so I think we've got to also focus on how, how we can really reduce some of the economic and racial inequality in society to make sure that kids are growing up in the same kinds of environments with the same kind of opportunities.
0: Sean Reardon is a professor at Stanford University. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. You can find a link to Sean Reardon's study at apmreports.org. And while you're there, you can check out our archive of podcasts and documentaries about education. We'd love to hear what kind of thoughts and questions that this podcast and our other work may bring up for you. You can contact us at our website, apmreports.org or write us a review on iTunes. This will all help other people find this podcast and maybe listen to it, who knows. We are on Facebook at APM Reports, and we're on Twitter, where our handle is at Educate Podcast. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.